Well, again, we're in the Christmas season, and this morning I want to focus on the idea of Jesus as the light of the world. One of my favorite parts of the Christmas season is the Christmas lights. I mean, I just can't help myself. <laughs> I enjoy Christmas lights. I enjoy putting them up. I just, I love, and at least you could say in, in here in the northern hemisphere, as our days get shorter this time of year, and we get into Christmas season, we put up the lights, and like, even though it's like getting dark, at just a little after 4 o'clock, you're driving down the road and you're seeing lights. And it's, it, it just kind of redeems it a little bit. It kind of makes it more fun. And, and it, just, it just encourages me to see the light uh, on different houses, different exhibits, and uh, people's lawns, and all that different uh, stuff. And even this morning, you know, um, I got a light. And uh, let's listen to this here. I have some special music, too. Can you hear that? See my little light? I got, I'm wearing a Christmas light. Just one. That's all I can light up. It's all the voltage I have. But uh, <laughs> Anyway, I got Deck the Halls all day long for caroling later. <laughs> I'm going to sing Deck the Halls over and over again to the sound of my tie. Um, but I, I just I love Christmas lights. And uh, you know, also this time of year, we probably light candles more. We certainly do. Uh, you know, they used to put candles on their trees, you know, back in the old days. <laughs> we don't advise that. <laughs> Stick with the electrical lights. But it's a season of light, even though climate-wise it grows dark. And, you know, and I, I think that's appropriate as we celebrate the birth of the Lord, because He is the light of the world. And so, to me, those Christmas lights speak to that. That Jesus, just as Jesus came into the world to be, to be the light of God that dispels darkness, that's what our Christmas lights are doing and lighting up the world a little bit. And we understand that light is very important to us. I mean, we live because there's light from the sun. Sunlight gives us the ability to see. It provides heat and energy, right? We, we can't live without light. When we think of it in physical terms and what we learn from scriptures, we can't live without spiritual light that comes through Jesus Christ, the one who came into the world for us. So I just want to take you through some verses and some ideas this morning as we explore the concept of Jesus as the light of the world and even what it means for us as his people. And we're going to start by thinking back on an Old Testament story or an event surrounding the life of Moses. Um, and I want to talk about the idea of how God is light. I mean, he is light. He is the source of light. And I want to show you that God's glory is his goodness. Oftentimes in Scripture, you, you get a picture of God's throne room in heaven, and it's always lit up with God's glory. And in fact, it usually puts people on their face to see just God's unadulterated glory. Because it's so majestic and awesome. And what the Bible teaches us, though, is that that glory, that great light, it's called the Shekinah glory, is connected to God's goodness. Because God is good, that's why he is so glorious. And he dwells in inapproachable light, as the scripture says. And I want to... Think back with me to the life of Moses. You remember Moses, right? Born in a time of persecution, put out in the basket of reeds, saved by Pharaoh's daughter, raised by Pharaoh's daughter, got to be 40 years old, 
killed an Egyptian, went into hiding as a fugitive. He wanted to deliver his people, but he did it in his own strength, and it didn't work out so well. So he went and lived as a fugitive in the wilderness and became a shepherd for 40 years. So 80 years into his life, when he'd probably long gotten past the idea of doing anything beneficial for his people, (laughs) God speaks to him out of a burning bush. There's another light, something Moses noticed. Um, And he called Moses into that ministry to go back and bring those people out of Egypt. And you read about this in the story of the Exodus. So Moses went back at 80 years old and did that. And he he led the people out through a series of miracles and plagues. And they go out into the wilderness. And uh, little did Moses know that he was entering the, the most challenging 40 years of his life to lead a nation in the wilderness, which he did until he was 120. But there's an encounter that he had with God on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 33. And why don't you turn there with me? Exodus chapter 33. It's a very interesting exchange between Moses and God. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to see the full picture of it. He had seen things. He had seen miracles. He had seen clouds and heard earthquakes and seen the plagues and and all that. But he wanted to see the glory of God. And in verse 18 of Exodus 33, this is Moses' plea. He says, it says, and he said, please show me your glory. And this is God's answer. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I have. I will have compassion. And then verse 20, but he said, but you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And we'll just stop reading there. But what? So Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, I will show you my goodness. And it connects these ideas in our mind. That, that the reason God does dwell in inapproachable, inapproachable light and he is glorious is because of who he is, his character, his goodness. And so what God did is he hid Moses in the cleft of a rock, you know, from kind of where we get the song from. But he, he hid behind a piece of the rock and God did pass by. And he did get a glimpse of that physical manifestation of glory as God went by. He saw the backside of God. And he still had to be behind the rock to shelter him from it. <laughs> but while God does go by, as you read further into the, the section there, as he was going by, Moses hears the goodness of God being proclaimed. And, it, and he hears a voice saying, God's merciful, God's righteous, God's holy. Basically describing the goodness of God. And so that's Moses' encounter with the glory of God. It's his goodness. And it helps to draw that connection because you can never separate the idea of light from goodness because that it's, it comes together in who God is. And we'll continue to keep that connection as we go through our study that the goodness of God is always connected to the, the, to the light of his glory. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is glorious because he is good. And 
you know, I think you hear enough at this church. The bottom line for any message you ever hear is that you need a big God. You need to know your God is good and he loves you. And that's why we always start there. In these, in these, and even a, in, a, in a study like this, God is glorious because he's good. And you know, while, while we're talking about Moses, just for a moment, you know, he, he, he has such an interesting story because you see in Moses' life weakness and you see failure. You see doubt. You see problems. I told you, you know, you know the story. He tried, he tried to take matters in his own hand at 40 years old, killed the Egyptian, went and had to go and, and live as a fugitive, had to run away from Pharaoh. He basically became a shepherd. He acquiesced to that. You know, he thought he was going to be a deliverer. Instead, he became a shepherd out in the wilderness for another 40 years again, as I said. And you just, you just think, you know, you think the kind of emotions that he must have went through, especially early on in that, and like basically realizing, no, that's not, it's not going to work. It's not what I thought. I guess I'm just going to do this instead. And then thinking, this is it. This is all. I'm going to spend the rest of my days doing this. And then God shows up in another 40 years and calls him, calls him back to Egypt to do it now in God's strength and by God's way. And you see Moses' weakness throughout that story. As a matter of fact, even when God called him back into ministry, he, he questioned it and he fought against it. And he said, I can't talk real good. I, I'm not the guy for the job. And God's like, you know, who made your tongue? I did. I know who I'm talking to. I'm picking you for a reason. But he was like, ah, you know, I, don't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And God's like, you, that's right. You can't do it. You, I can do it through you. <laughs> that's the idea. He used his weaknesses. And there, because Moses was weak, it would be God's glory that would be seen. Not Moses' strength and abilities, but God's glory through it all. And I just think about that again as we, we think on this. And, and just to say this, you know, today, I think each one of our lives, we could say, is, is, is a bit of an exodus experience. Right? We go through seasons of life. We go through seasons of struggle. We go through seasons that aren't as bad. But, but it's always ups and downs. It's always challenges. It's always some crisis somewhere in your life. And I think we need to be reminded that God's still good. God's still working. You may be like Moses, like, God, I can't do this. I don't have the ability. I can't do it. And God says, I'm here. I'm going to do it. I'm with you through these things. And so as you go through the exodus of your life, we need to be like Moses and just simply trust God. Be humble. But trust in God's goodness. He's working out in your life, just like he worked out in Moses' life. He's going to work out his glory and his goodness through you. And no matter where you're at, you may be feeling burdened by weakness or circumstances. But we can trust that God has us where he wants us, that he's chosen us. He's chosen us to be the, to be the spouse of our husband or wife. He's chosen us to be the parents of our children. He's put you where you're at. And it may be up and downs, but we can continue to trust him. He's going to continue to work out his goodness. And that's actually how he's going to show his glory to us in our lives, through his goodness, through being present in our lives, through walking us through hardships. But God's glory is in his goodness. But we want to define it a little bit further. And that's this next point here. That spiritual light is truth and goodness. When we, when we talk about light in the Bible, when we talk about Jesus being the light of the world, and we talk about how he was the light that shone into the darkness, uh, we know we're not talking about a physical flashlight. We're talking about substance, 
uh, uh, quantities, the quantities of truth and goodness. It's interesting in Scripture, right? The, the very first words out of God's mouth in the Bible. I mean, we know it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But just a little bit later, it, said, it says the first words that God actually spoke into the universe. And do you remember what those, the three words he first spoke into the universe was? As he brought in the universe, basically, he says, let there be light. I said three words. I guess that's like five, right? Let there be light. Four. Account. I'll get my, somebody give me a calculator. Uh, four words. <laughs> let there be light. And there was light. And God just spoke light into existence. And right away, light exists now as this quantity, as this substance in the universe. And, and, it, and it overcome the darkness. And that was his first creative act, to speak into a, a dark void. And he says, let there be light, and there it is. And it just kind of sets the stage for what's going to happen throughout the rest of Scripture as God's light ultimately takes dominion over all darkness and as he'll even work out his plan of redemption. But spiritually speaking, light, as we think of it in those terms, is truth and goodness. We Again, we understand physical light gives us energy, gives us the ability to see, gives us warmth and those things. But again, what's spiritual light? Psalms 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. David recognizing there the truth of God's word, that's what lights up my life. That's what gives me a path to follow. Truth matters. Truth is essential to live. Truth is spiritual light. God's truth is light for our life. Also, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That passage is showing you the moral aspect of light. It's goodness. Light is goodness. Evil is darkness. Okay? So truth is light. Error, falsehood, lies, that's darkness. Goodness is light, but evil and rebellion and hatefulness, that's, that's darkness. And the Bible begins to give us this definition of what spiritual life is. Again, truth and goodness in simple terms. And you see this play out through the Bible, this battle between light and darkness, between God's spiritual truth and goodness and the darkness that is in the world because of sin. The whole of the Old Testament uh, helps develop this story in our minds as we read about the history of Israel. And God had called Israel to be a light to the world. He picked a special nation, a special people. I'm going to use you to reach out to the rest of these nations that have walked away from me, that have rebelled. And he wanted them to, to take light into the world. But what we find in their story is failure because darkness is not just out in the world, right? The, the primary darkness that has to be overcome is right in the heart. Because of sin, because of the flesh. Where we come into this world separated from God, a heart of a rebel. And we have to come to know who Jesus Christ is so he can transform us from the inside out. He puts his light in our very heart. But see, that's really the darkness we wrestle with is what's in our heart primarily. But again, we also, 
want to be the ones that bring light into the world too. But this is the story you read about in Scripture. God's light overcoming darkness. Spiritual truth and goodness overcoming the lies and the evil and all that stuff that we can get caught up in that leads us astray. That's the battle we read about in Scripture. And just as physical light, again, provides visibility, energy, and warmth, the spiritual light that God gives us, that's meant to help us see His glory, His goodness. That's meant to provide us with the energy and excitement to serve Him, to passionately follow Him, and also to warm our hearts toward others. His light does that in us. That's what is energizing us and how He's using us today. He puts that light in us as we'll see a little bit later. But there again, that's what we want to keep those ideas in, in mind. God's goodness and his glory, they're, they're tied together. Where God's goodness is, there be glory. There be light. Okay? And what is that light? It's truth and it's goodness. And it's meant to come out in our lives that way too. As a matter of fact, I think is a, is a passage that often resonates in my mind. And it's in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul calls the body of believers to speak truth in love. Speak truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, growing up in the body. In Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. There's those two concepts. Truth and love, which is just the outworking of goodness. And those are always in harmony. and It's a perfect harmony. That's a picture of God's light. And that already starts to give us the idea of how do we take light out. It's truth in love. It's truth with goodness. That is God's light. But obviously, if we just left off with the Old Testament, right, we leave off with the failure of Israel. And uh, we were talking in adult Sunday school this morning that between the Old Testament and the New Testament was 400 years of silence from God. And we could call that a time of darkness in a sense. Israel was oppressed. God wasn't speaking through prophets. People were not seeing angels and those kinds of things. There wasn't much going on. All they had was the promise of Scripture and holding on to that. And then you get into the New Testament story and the Gospels, and right away you're you're hit with the birth of John the Baptist, and then Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and God is speaking through them, and he's speaking again. And so I don't think it's by any... Coincidence that after 400 years of silence and, and maybe we'd say darkness, that that's when the greatest light of God comes into the world in the person of Jesus Christ to shatter the silence and bring light to all. And so that brings us to what we want to talk about now with Jesus as he is the light of the world. And it, the scripture calls him that. He declared himself to be the light of the world. And let's start and look at some concepts of how that was prophesied in Scripture. Jesus Christ is the prophesied light of the world. The Old Testament Scriptures are full of promises about one who would come and bring salvation. We were just reading some verses in Isaiah 9 earlier, right? Talked about this child that would come and the, this government would, would not end basically there'd be no uh his government the increase of his government oh goodness where is the verse at i'm just i'm I'm destroying it but anyway you know what we read (laughs) you remember but it talked about his kingdom basically and it's going to be never ending and and this these great promises tied to this person to come and 
Go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew for a moment, chapter 4. And hold your place there for a minute, but Matthew 4. But there's all these promises. There's another promise in Isaiah 42 about God's elect servant who would come into the world. And if you read the first few verses of that, he talks about how he's going to have the Spirit of God upon him. He's going to bring justice to the world, and he's going to be a light to the world. He's going to be a light to the nations or the Gentiles. And in Isaiah 42, it's clearly talking about the Christ, the one to come, the anointed one, which is what Messiah or Christ means. He's God's servant. He's the one that's going to have the Spirit. He's the one that's the ultimate light that's coming into the world. What all those promises speak to is this is our most, this is our need. We need God Himself to come down here and clean this mess up. We need His light to overcome the darkness of the world and the darkness that creeps in our own hearts. And that's why Jesus had to come. There's no other way except for God Himself to take on flesh, become a human, live as a man, and die ultimately for our sins and rise again. There's no other hope for us or for the world outside of that. That's why it's called the greatest story ever told. That's why we call it the good news, the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. But if you're in Matthew 4, we get a little glimpse of how Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies that spoke of the one to come. In Matthew 4, verses 15 and 16... We have Matthew quoting the book of Isaiah, and he's showing how Christ fulfills it. And let's just look at these two passages here, these two verses. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Sound familiar? We read it right out of Isaiah in our scripture reading, in Isaiah chapter 9. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 9 here. Verse 16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and, and shadow of death, light has dawned. Light has dawned. This is the one. This is the one promise. This is the guy that we've been waiting for. This is the guy we need. This is the one. He's the light. John eight twelve records Jesus' own claim. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Again, he is the, what it means is he is the embodiment of God's truth, of God's goodness. He is God in the flesh. So he is the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's one of seven great I am statements he made in his life. There's a lot of significance to those statements. When he said, I am, he was connecting himself back to the God that walked before Moses, who was the I am, the great, tell them that I am has sent you. The one who Moses said, I want to see your glory. Jesus Christ was that guy walking around in the flesh. See, that, that, it was embodied in his, his incarnation there. He says, I am the light of the world. He also said he was the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. 
And I am, again, the light of the world. He was declaring his deity through those statements, who he really was. He was the same God that walked Moses through the wilderness. And here he is in the flesh for all to behold. And so why did he come? Well, he came to die for sins, but he came to bring light into this dark world. To overcome darkness. Just as God said, let there be light. And it broke through the darkness at the dawn of creation. Jesus Christ comes into the world and breaks through the moral darkness that exists because of evil and sin. You know, the scripture doesn't paint a, a, a nice fluffy picture of the world that we live in, does it? Scripture gives us the truth, and it's kind of a harsh reality, but it's the truth of what the world is. In 1 John five nineteen, one of the things that John said is, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Wow, the whole world under the sway of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? That's Satan. The world is under his influence, his sway. The literal translation would be the whole world lies in the evil one. It's just showing you the influence that Satan has on the world. As he is the the greatest agent of darkness. He is a liar and the murderer from the beginning, as Christ said. To the world's under the dominion of him. Therefore, it's a dark place. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul calls him the God of this world. He calls Satan the God of this world and he says he's blinding the minds of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine upon them. His mission is to keep people in darkness. That's what Satan's mission is. To keep them devoid of what did we call spiritual light? To keep them devoid of the truth and of goodness that Jesus Christ brings. That's his mission. To keep us in darkness. And that just shows what, what we're up against in the world. But why, again, Jesus had to come. What if you read those verses, the whole world's under the sway of the wicked one, and then the Bible said, the end. <laughs> that would be really depressing, wouldn't it? It would be really depressing. But no, the light of the world came to break through the darkness of Satan, the darkness of sin, the darkness of our own hearts. And Jesus Christ, because he is God, he is the perfect example of God's goodness. This is, how the, this is how he's the light of God. And it's in, it comes out in his goodness. It's in his character, in his nature, his goodness. He loved others perfectly. John 13.1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world... To the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved perfectly. He loved his disciples. It was love that took him to the cross. Because that's the only way to break us free from the darkness we were held in. He told his disciples to carry on that. John 13, 34, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You know, we've just been going through 1 Corinthians, right? First, we, just, we just finished chapter 13 a couple of weeks back, which is the chapter on love, right? Agape love, and we talked about that. And how love is not rude, and love does not parade itself, and love is kind and patient, and love is not provoked, and all these things. 
Very convicting passage, isn't it? (laughs) What love is. But that's what love is. It's always good to your neighbor. It's always kind. It's always looking to bless. Jesus was a perfect example of that kind of life. So he was God's goodness. And Jesus also, again, we said a little bit ago, he also said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, 6. So again, as the light of the world, he perfectly displays God's goodness, but he also displayed God's truth. He spoke it. He lived it. He actually said, I only do what the Father tells me to do in his ministry. So he is the perfect example of of truth and goodness. And because of that, he was the embodiment of the glory of God. We think of the glory of God again. We think of that physical manifestation of like Shekinah glory that you read about that Moses wanted to see. And it was the kind of glory that filled the temple and tabernacle. And people couldn't approach it. People couldn't go into it because they could die from it. And we think of that. But actually, again, a, a better idea of God's glory is his goodness. And that's what Jesus lived out all the time. He didn't go around knocking people down with like a million watt you know, light beams. He just exposed people to goodness and truth. And what did that do? It exposed their heart. The light exposes darkness. And Jesus exposes that because that's what people need to be exposed to. We need to see the world for what it is. We need to see ourselves for who we are so that we see our need for Jesus Christ in our life. And we turn to him and trust in him as our savior. Believing he died for us, was buried and rose again. Man's ultimate need. So that light can shine into our hearts. And we'll go on here and on our final phase here of this study. It doesn't just stop with Jesus. He came, God in the flesh, to shine light into this world, to be the light of God. But he doesn't just leave it there. Because now that light is to be residing in our heart and coming forth through our life. That's God's goal in our lives today. Believers are lights in the world. Why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus, again, he's the embodiment of truth and goodness. He is the embodiment of spiritual life. And that's what every man needs. And if you try to live, just, just again, if you keep the illustration, if you try to live without physical light, you will stumble through life. You will, you will live in darkness. You will live in cold. That's no life at all, is it? But the same principle applies. If you try to live your life without the spiritual light, of who Jesus Christ is, you're going to stumble through life. You're going to be overcome by darkness in your life and in your choices. A lot of people out there are trying to live apart from Christ. They're, they're trying to look for some kind of meaning, some kind of ide- identity, some kind of temporary pleasure or happiness is the usual word. And it's a cheap imitation of what life is meant to be if you're trying to do it without the light of the world you're still always going to be in darkness. And there's just no way around it. And it's Jesus Christ that provides us with security, with identity, with lasting joy in Him. And that begins to change us, to affect us on a very deep level that changes our very soul. Ephesians 5.1 uh, 
says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling aroma. And then, in verse 8, we'll read verse 8 there as well, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, when when we trust Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit of God comes to indwell within us, and the very light of God is within us now. That's, I mean, in one sense, that's where, his, that's where he's dwelling. We're his temple. We're where his goodness and glory is dwelling. So how does that come out? How do we get that to shine out of the curtains of our life, of our physical body? How does that come out? Because it's in there. He says, you're children of light. Walk in light. Don't live the old lifestyle of darkness. And so it's talking about this radical change that happens for the believer. We pass from darkness to light. We become children of God. We become saints, heirs of God. Again, the Spirit of God indwells us, seals us, guides us, conforms us to the very image of Jesus Christ, conforms us to the one who is the light of the world. And that, all that means is he's transforming us into Christ-likeness. He's bringing the truth down to our hearts and making it real so that goodness flows out of our lives. And that's how his light goes through us. As we live in the truth and we live in his goodness, his light is going through us into the world to those around us. That's how we become children of light. That's how we live it out. That's what makes us lights in the world. His light shines in our heart. It shines through us because the light in his heart or the light in my heart, it reveals things to me. He reveals things to me in my heart. He reveals places I'm not trusting him. He reveals places where maybe I don't, maybe, maybe I need more integrity there, or I need more diligence in an area, or something like that. He's working in here. He's shining his light. He convicts. He works. And he's always moving us more from selfishness into that spirit of other-centeredness and serving and wanting to bless others. He's always doing that, always taking us there. And it's about surrendering to him and letting him work through us in that way. There was a funny story I came across about a a, a guest preacher who visited a congregation, and he was leading a time of testimonies. And a lady stood up to share a little bit, and she was talking about how she was recognizing that, that God was really working in her heart and was really wanting her to, to shine out his light and to comfort others. And the guest preacher let her speak for a minute. Then he used that as an opportunity and he said, he, you know, he tried to press it home a little bit. And he said, so, so is that helping you in, with, in your relationship with your husband? Is it helping you really want to take care of him and, and like, you know, cook him good meals and, and really bless him like that? And as he was saying that to her, he, his coat was getting tugged on by the, by the host pastor. The host pastor was tugging on him, and he looked over, and the host pastor whispered to him, like, keep asking, keep asking, that's my wife. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> Light is meant to transform us, isn't it? And we kind of like that, Pastor, sometimes. We, more, we want to see somebody else change. We, we're, we're doing all right, but you could do a work in their heart. <laughs> you need to 
you need to work, you need to chip, chip on that block a little bit over there, Lord. I'm doing all right, but they really need your help. <laughs> Again, that's our own darkness of heart that gets in the way sometimes. That selfish behavior in nature comes back up. No, God's wanting to do work in our hearts and keep conforming us to Christ. And that's what it means to be a child of light, to be an imitator of God, as Ephesians 5.1 talks about. He wants to change us. And so it does ask us, you know, how, how do we really live? Are these things really real to us? Do they really speak to our hearts? Do they really change us? We are to shine in the world. Today, God is not going to appear on a mountaintop and speak to somebody in a cloud. He's not going to show up today in any temple in Jerusalem or anywhere else in the world. Quite frankly, he doesn't need to because he has you. We are his temple. We are his ambassadors. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. And we're just going to read 12 through 16. And we see again what God's plan for our lives today, what it is. Philippians 2, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not telling you to work for salvation, but he's saying, let the salvation you possess, let that be evident in your life. Let people see it. People should see the change. But verse 13 tells you what's behind it. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's where he's working. That's where he's doing his greatest work today in you and I. To give us the very will or desire, the very energy. He is empowering it. He's doing the work. So like Moses, it doesn't matter how weak you are. It doesn't matter what you think your failings are. You have the light of the world in you. And God can do it. And God is doing it if we just let him have his work in us. And then verse 14 and on starts to get really meddlesome and tell you what it looks like. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh, that's, a, that's a tough one. <laughs> Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine, here it is, as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, that's truth, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Did you catch the two elements of spiritual light we've been talking about? There's truth, the word of life, and there's goodness. And how you are blameless in the world and you're not going around complaining and arguing with people. Right? It's, both, it's always there. Truth and goodness is spiritual light. And he says, that's what God's working in you so that it comes out in your life. When you choose to do good to your neighbor... They're seeing the very light of Christ lighting up your life. And again, that's, that's, what we, that's something I've just been meditating on, I guess, this Christmas season. God wants me to be the light that he has in the world now. 
He wants to shine through my life. And I think, again, those Christmas lights that I so enjoy, and we go driving around, we always take a time, we, we go out as a family, and we, we drive around, we look at Christmas lights, we go to, we got some key locations that we always like to go and hit because they're just really well done and really beautiful, and they light up the night. But I think what these passages speak to us is, in one sense, you and I, we are God's Christmas lights. You know, really, we're... We're supposed to be twinkling in the darkness. We're supposed to be lighting up the night when, we're, when we live in the truth and we live in goodness. He shines through us, and that's what's going to draw people in. That's the plan. Draw them in with the light that shines in the darkness, right? We all know we're, when you're in darkness, you see a light, you go to the light, don't you? That's the idea in the Christian life as well. Father, thanks for, again, just the power of who you are and your word and what you want to do in and through us as you work in each one of us to do your good work. And may we continue just to meditate on how Jesus Christ is the light of the world and what that means and what it means for our lives even now, Lord, as we put that in practice, as we surrender to you on a daily basis so your light can shine through us. Just make that a reality in each of our lives, especially in a busy season of Christmas. Many things going on, many things doing. Plenty of causes of stress and things like that, Lord, but may the light shine. May we surrender to you daily, Father, so you can have a victory in us. We just give you thanks. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.